Welcome along. It's great to have you here. It's great to hear conversation. We look forward to carrying this on after, uh, after the message, after the service, where we continue to have coffee and a chance to do fellowship, which is a, a part of worship as we gather together. Uh, the body of believers, the, the church, the ecclesia. So welcome along. My name's Dave. I'm part of the team here at Hills Baptist. It's always an honour to come and bring God's word. Uh, if you're someone who's visiting us this morning, just a special welcome to you. Uh, yeah, welcome to the family at Hills. We're a family on mission. We'd love to connect with you. We've got our connect corner in the back uh, where we can give you some information if you're interested. But it's great that you guys can be here today. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect this morning as we gathered. The world's gone a little crazy. Coronavirus is in our midst. So the logical thing to do is not buy hand sanitizer, but go and buy a thousand rolls of toilet paper each. So apologies on behalf of humanity if you actually need toilet paper. And uh, I'm sure the school won't mind if you go and nick a few rolls from back there because they <laughs> still have some. <laughs> I'm joking, don't do that. But, you know, if you really need to. Uh, I think we're probably at a time in life, I've been thinking about this this week, um, where we need wisdom perhaps more than ever so before. Uh, you look at what is going on in our world right now. Yes, there's the fear tactics around coronavirus, and we can get into a political conversation around that later. Uh, but there's so much going on. When we look at what is happening in our world in the way that our world is gaining information the way that people are buying into things that media is telling us that like our world is is in trouble and it's so easy to be led astray and uh, the people of God need wisdom we need wisdom to know how to live in this world we need wisdom to know how to be the people God has called us to be in this world we need wisdom to be able to speak into the situations in which we live. And so what we're about to do is we are about to embark on a five-week series on wisdom, on the wisdom literature. So uh, the wisdom literature is, if, for those of you who know your Bible, you know that the Old Testament particularly is uh, books are written and then they're grouped and classified as a particular thing. So we have those first five books of the Bible, the, the Hebrew Torah, which is we call the law, uh, and then we have this group which we call the history books, like, you know, Joshua, etc., etc. Uh, and then we have the prophets. You've got the major prophets and the minor prophets, so you feel bad for the minor prophets because in God's eyes, they're still major. But they're speaking prophetically into the world. And then we have this, this group of five books which we call the, the wisdom literature. If you're young and hip, maybe the wisdom lit, as I hear some people call it. The wisdom books. Uh, those wisdom books contain uh, psalms, which is a bit unique, and some people just put it as poetry and don't chuck it in there, but psalms, we have Job, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, and that glorious book, Song of Songs. And uh, so what we're going to do in uh, the next five weeks is we're going to take a look at these wisdom books. We're going to just push psalms to the side, we'll revisit that another time, but we're going to focus particularly on those four, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, and look about what is it that God is saying to us, his church, in this day, in this age, what is the wisdom that he would give to speak into some of these things that our society is throwing in our face. So we're going to have a look at relationships and maybe even the S-E-X word 
and the wisdom, like our world is pushing an agenda, amen? And it's time that we sought the wisdom of God in that agenda. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at money, which is a word we don't often mention in church either. But the Bible talks a lot about it and has a lot of wisdom to offer. We're going to look at meaning and purpose, which more and more we're seeing a huge need for. Yeah? A huge need as people are searching for that thumbs up to tell them that they're okay, that they belong. Uh, And so we're going to dive into this stuff and have a look at what the Bible is telling us. Um, So before we begin, let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 1 through 7, if my Bible allows me to do that without falling apart on me. And we start here. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom, someone say wisdom, and instruction. For understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And here's where we're going to land. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Interestingly, in Proverbs 9, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'll look at that in a minute. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Does anyone need wisdom in this place this morning? I tell you what, I need some wisdom. I, like, can I just be a bit vulnerable with you this morning? I do not have it all together. I know, right? But I don't. And yesterday morning as we sat here with Awaken and Tim uh, did a fantastic job of unpacking 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I don't know where you are, Timmy, but great job. And he started talking about uh, teaching the word, the responsibility of teaching the word. Those who teach will be judged more harshly. He started nailing. And I'm sitting there with my hands in my lap thinking, (laughs) the weight of this thing just fell with a new perspective, afresh. I need wisdom in all areas of life. And guess what? So do you. I was thinking about this just the, the other, a few months ago, uh, I thought I'd spend some time with my kids because that's a wise thing to do, yes, for dads to spend time with their children, but I also wanted to do a workout, so in our shed, I've turned our shed into a gym, so I took the kids into the gym uh, to do a workout with me, and I was a fraction distracted because I was doing my own thing at the same time as encouraging them uh, to do some exercise, and then there was also the opportunity to develop risk-taking. How many of you know that developing risk-taking in young children is a wise thing? Amen? We should encourage our kids to take risks. Yes? We need to do that. That is a wise thing to do. So I had Mabel. She was standing on a box jump, leaping, grabbing the rafters of the shed and swinging and then dropping down. It was a great challenge to see if she could do it, developing risk-taking. And then with Benji, he had these little three-kilo weights and he was pushing some shoulder press. He was like, Dad, look what I can do. It's fantastic. And Bailey thought he'd go for a run on the treadmill. So he jumped on the treadmill and he started going for a run. And I was just sort of, I'm going to use the word facilitating what was going on, as opposed to perhaps engaging in the way that I should have. And as this was going on, the next thing I knew, all hell broke loose. 
Because as Bailey was running, he pressed the speed up button. And that speed up button leapt a significant number of kilometres per hour that was a bit too fast for his legs could, could carry his weight. And the next thing I know, Bailey's flung off the back of the treadmill. He's screaming. It's sort of burning his leg. His foot has gone through the wall of the gym. So there's a hole in the wall, which is still there. Sam Silver will fix that. Mabel's swinging on the rafters. Benji's doing this. And my beloved wife walks in. <laughs> And in that moment, I'm just going to move the cross so I can see the people over here. In that moment, she says what only a mother can say in one word. And the word she said was this, David! (laughs) Which is really her way of saying, what are you doing in here? And in my mind... I was thinking, well, until two minutes ago, I was teaching them a valuable lesson of an active lifestyle and healthy risk-taking. But I can see now that that's not a good idea. And so what I actually said in my answer was, I know. (laughs) To which she responded, do you? (laughs) Which again is her way of saying, if you know Why do I have a son with a foot in the wall, another daughter swinging from the rafters and a young son with weights in the air over his head which could fall and break his arm at any minute? How is it that a wise decision to spend time with children, a wise decision to teach them an active lifestyle, a wise decision to teach them risk-taking in the wrong setting can be so foolish, is effectively what she was saying. We all need wisdom. We need wisdom for parenting. We need wisdom for work. We need wisdom for doing business. We need wisdom in our marriages. We need wisdom if you're a young person and you're seeking a date. You need wisdom for what you should be eating. You need wisdom in this life. We all need wisdom. So how do we get it? And what is it? Like if three wise things in the wrong setting can be a foolish thing, how do we quantify wisdom? How do we know what wisdom actually is? And if we can actually articulate what wisdom is, then how do we grasp it? How do we run with it? How do we apply it to our lives so that in everything we do, we are people who are walking in wisdom? And friends, this is why God has given us the wisdom literature. He has given us the wisdom books so that we would be led into wisdom. So that we would know, firstly, what wisdom is. And secondly, that we would grasp it and we would apply it and we would walk in it. That we would look visibly different from the foolishness which is perceived to be wise in our world that we would walk in wisdom. Who needs wisdom? Who wants to walk in wisdom? 
I'm excited to walk in wisdom. So before we dive into this, I want to unpack this wisdom literature a little bit and help you. I just said literature really weird. I noticed that as it came out of my mouth. Uh, And I want to unpack this and explain how it works. So here's what I need. I need some volunteers, but I'm actually going to pick you. Kurt and Angie, can I borrow you two? Can you guys come and stand here? Let's give Kurt and Angie a big round of applause. Uh, Kurt and Angie are, are getting married very, very soon. So these guys are going to represent the Song of Songs. (laughs) That's great. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Stan, where are you? Stan Whittem or Eddie, one of you guys. Who wants to come up first? Who's racing? Oh, they're both coming up. Well, they can stand together and pretend to be one. Up you come. These guys are some people who have lived some life, have learnt some lessons... So they're going to represent Job. You guys can just shuffle over just a fraction. Come this way, come this way a little bit. Uh, And then I need, uh, I don't want to say middle-aged, but... (laughs) Caleb, (laughs) come forward, mate. Caleb's going to be Ecclesiastes for us. Let's give Caleb a round of applause. You're not middle-aged, you're young. Middle-aged. And then I need, I, need a young, I need a young, wise lady. A young, wise lady. Who could we... Oh, Amari, I'm not sure that you're a young, wise lady champion. I'm just scanning. Grace, come on down. Let's give Grace a round of applause. There you go. You can be Proverbs. So if you guys, you can come and stand this way a little bit. Come and stand over there. Okay, so here's the wisdom literature, right? Here's how the wisdom literature works, the wisdom lit works. God has given us five books. We're focusing on four. He's given us these four books. Here's the mistake that we make. We just read one of these books. So we read one section of these books and we say, okay, that's wisdom. And then then we say, well, hang on. That doesn't seem to be working in my life right now. Like we read something in Proverbs which tells us if you live a righteous life, you'll live a long life. And then we see righteous people, people who are living, you know, by the way of God and they die early and we think, well, that's not true. How can that be the case? And so when it comes to the wisdom literature, God in his infinite wisdom has actually ordained it that we would recognize wisdom not in one, but in all of these books. We are supposed to read them in context with one another. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I'll, doing a bit of reading around um, some stuff that a guy called Dr. Tim Mackey has done around this, and I find it incredibly helpful because when he talks about the wisdom literature, he says a great way to think about the wisdom literature is to, do, is to turn these books into characters. So Proverbs is like the young, super smart, super sharp, like super switched on young lady. Because in Proverbs, wisdom is often explained as lady wisdom. And so it's saying Proverbs is like this young, uh, optimistic, uh, really positive, sees the world in a particular way, and so teaches us this generalized, big picture view of, of how wisdom works in the world, of what we should expect, the cause and effect of God's wisdom on the earth. And so this 
young, sensational lady speaks uh, about money and speaks about relationships and speaks about work ethic and speaks about all these big generalized uh, ways of doing the good life. It's saying if you live a particular way, this will be a good life. This will be a life that, that makes an impact in the world. This is how we should live. And then we come to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, Mackie calls the critic. And he says it's the person who has lived a little bit longer than Proverbs. And in the journey of living a bit longer, has recognised that while Proverbs has a lot of great things to say, and there's a lot of truth in this, actually, as I experience life and as I encounter life, I realise that sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Sometimes one plus one doesn't always equal two in the way that I think that it should. And so Ecclesiastes looks at this and says, yeah, yeah, that's true sometimes, but what about in these cases? Because I've seen this and this hasn't worked out. I've seen a righteous die young and I've seen the wicked thrive. Like, what's with that? And so we get this view from Ecclesiastes, which is different from Proverbs, but actually not contradictory. They're supposed to be read together. And then we have this beautiful book of Job. And Job is the wise old sage. <laughs> Job is the one who has lived life, has endured a lot. And Job listens to Ecclesiastes and Proverbs go back and forth. And Job says, you know what? You're both right. I've lived it. I've seen it. I've seen that things haven't happened the way they should happen. But let me tell you something. God is faithful. God's promises are true. And you can trust him with your life. Even if I don't understand everything, God is faithful and true. And so Job, when read with Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, all of a sudden we get a picture of what wisdom actually is. And then, of course, we have Song of Songs. This amazing book which is so relevant in our world today of a young couple who are in love a young couple who are eyes are only on each other they're not wandering about looking at everyone else's green pastures but they're fixed on each other and they're saying there's wisdom in relationship and actually devoting your life to one other person a husband and a wife devoted to one another. And it's really interesting in Solomon, who is the man famous for wisdom, wives and wealth, that, and same with, in fact, you read all these biblical people who as they started young and they had this one wife and they were thriving in God and then they ended up having multiple wives and what happened to them? They all started to deteriorate and fall off. And there's something profoundly wise about just doing relationships well, about having, devoting yourself to one person, one woman, one man, and not allowing your eyes to wander on anyone else. And as we put all these books together, as we read them as a whole, all of a sudden we begin to see what wisdom is, yeah? So as we go through this journey, I'm going to encourage you in the next five weeks to read the wisdom literature to get wise, 
Don't read it in isolation. Read it as a picture. Go through it and say, wow, what am I learning about wisdom in this space? So can we give these guys a big round of applause? Thank you. We can just chuck them on there. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to examine the wisdom literature. And we're going to explore what wisdom actually is. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Here's what we get to. As we look at Proverbs chapter 1, and as we look at uh, the Hebrew culture and we understand uh, their understanding of wisdom, the first thing we see is that the Hebrew word used for wisdom, can I teach for a little bit? Is that okay? Is this word chokmah. Can everyone say chokmah? And chokmah is a really interesting word because it's also a word used to describe a person of great skill. So the people uh, who built the tabernacle and built the temple were people who were described as having chokmah, as having wisdom. So this is the Hebrew word, chokmah. And when you look at it, basically what the, the entire wisdom literature is telling us is that wisdom is a divine attribute from God that in creation has been woven into the thread of all things. That God has used wisdom because he is infinitely wise in creation and in doing so has made it available to humanity. And the book of Proverbs particularly, as I said before, explains this as uh, like a lady, lady wisdom. And it kind of gives you this idea that she roams about the earth looking to bestow her riches upon anyone who would actually seek her and desire her. Like, want lady wisdom, want wisdom. If we, if we desire wisdom and we pursue wisdom, then wisdom is available to us because God has engrafted it into creation. And so this is the deep Hebrew understanding of the nature of wisdom in the world. That it is of God for humanity so that we can live a righteous life so that we can live a good life. And so he has granted us this wisdom. And so I want to just take you on a journey because I could give you a definition of wisdom, but that's not fun. Let's go through a bit of a, a thinking experiment. Is that okay? Are you with me this morning? There's no point going outside. Coronavirus is outside. So let's concentrate. <laughs> let's have a bit of a, for, a, a thought experiment. Let's work our way through this. So wisdom is hokmah. When we read this proverb and we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction, we get this idea that actually wisdom and knowledge are intrinsically linked. But interestingly, wisdom is not knowledge. So they're connected and knowledge is not wisdom. The word knowledge is this word da'ath. Everyone say da'ath. Isn't that a fun word to say? So that's the word knowledge. Wisdom is chokmah. So the two are different, but have you ever met a wise person who had no knowledge about the thing in which they were wise? Anyone? I've never met anyone who would, you would say is wise about a particular situation and yet they knew nothing about it. No, a wise person has knowledge, but knowledge in and of itself is not wisdom because who's met someone who's super knowledgeable but really unwise? Really foolish. Have you ever met someone like that? Yes. I knew, I knew that Bailey on a treadmill 
Probably not a great idea. I knew it, but I still acted foolishly and let him do it. Are you with me? So you can have knowledge, but that doesn't make you wise, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. Yeah? Second thing I want you to see, there's something about wisdom that has to do with this idea of discernment, this idea of insight, this idea of um, being able to see beyond the situation right in front of you. John Piper calls this situational insight. All right, think of it like an army general. You've got an army, there's, there's battle raging, right? And an army general is looking at, he's got knowledge about the opposition. He's got knowledge about his own group of soldiers. He's got knowledge about the situation, where the soldiers are, what's happening, where our ammunition levels are. He's got all this knowledge about what's going on. But discernment is key. Because it's being able to see if I apply that knowledge in a particular way, in a particular situation, then there is a very likely possible positive outcome. I'm discerning that if I act, this will happen. Success may well happen. All right? So we need to have discernment. Okay? And we see this where uh, it says in verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight for receiving instruction in prudent behavior doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion discretion so it's like being able to see what's going on so we need insight to have wisdom but insight in and of itself is not wisdom just having discernment doesn't make you wise because again I could have discerned that things were going to go bad in that gymnasium. I had the insight, yeah, there's a very likely chance that Benji's going to drop away. There is a likely chance that Mabel will slip back and bang her head. There is a likely chance that Bailey will fall off that treble and go flying into the wall. But I did nothing. So we see that wisdom is not just knowledge, it's not just insight, but there must be some degree of action. I actually have to do something. I actually have to have the courage or the resolve or I have to take a step. I have to act on it. Yeah? I have to act on it. So there's this element of courage. There's an element of resolve. There's an element of stepping out and doing something in wisdom. But courage, resolve, stepping out in and of themselves are not wisdom. Who's with me right now? Or who's going, woo, this is going round and round. That's what I'm trying to do to you. And so here's the next thing we see, and this is something that struck me really strongly, right? We can have knowledge, we can discern what that knowledge might lead to, we can take action, but if that action fails, was I wise? No. There is an element of success in wisdom. And this is the hardest part about wisdom because wisdom is only revealed in hindsight. You know, we take a step of faith. We move a church from Little Hampton to Verdun and everyone's saying, that's stupid. That's not where we want to be. Why would we go that way? And as we see God and say, I know it seems stupid, but for whatever reason, God's opening this door. And in hindsight, we go, oh yeah, that was a good idea. But in the moment, we're like, that doesn't seem wise. But if we came here and it was terrible and everyone left and it just died, we go, well, that was really dumb. That was foolish. So wisdom is revealed 
in hindsight, there has to be an element of success in what we are doing. So there's all these components of wisdom. So what's wisdom, Dave? Stop telling me all this gear and stop taking me on this big circle and tell me what wisdom is. Well, that's not fun, but I'll try. Based on all these things, here's how you could define wisdom. You could define wisdom as having the knowledge, insight, and courage that together have the greatest likelihood of success in achieving the intended goal. Let me say that again. You could define wisdom as having the knowledge, insight, and courage that together have the greatest likelihood of success in achieving the intended goal. But I don't think that's wisdom. Because as we read about in verse 3, wisdom is about doing what is right and just and fair. Another way of saying that is wisdom is having knowledge, insight and courage to live a righteous life. I don't want to burst our bubble, but guess what? We can't do that. Humans are prone to folly. In and of ourselves, we will never live a righteous life. We can't. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Bible tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. But here's the thing, because it then says, in Isaiah 53, it then says, but. Who loves a good but in the Bible? It then says, but. It says, but the Lord has laid on him. Who's he talking about? Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. And in my mind, I just want to go ba, ba, do ba, ba, Isaiah 53, 6, Colin Buchanan, thank you very much. <laughs> We're all going to fall short. None of us are going to live a righteous life. Therefore, none of us are wise in and of ourselves. None of us have the knowledge, insight and courage to live a righteous life. Not one of us have that, to succeed at living a righteous life. None of us have the capacity to do that. But there is one who has. And there is one who empowers his people and grants wisdom to his people that in him and by his might and by his strength and by his grace, we might begin to walk in a transformed life and begin to see his righteousness made manifest in us, that we would see the fruit, that we would actually walk successfully in righteousness, knowing that as I fail, he succeeds because God's plans will not fail. The cross will never fail. God's wisdom, though it looked like foolishness to us, is the is. Utterly wise because he has the knowledge. He has the insight. He had the courage to go to a cross and be spat on and have his beard torn out as we learned today. He had all of those things so that his plans would 100% without any doubt succeed in bringing righteousness to humanity. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. 
So wisdom is of God, by God, from God. And as we reach and as we humble ourselves before him, as we, as Proverbs says, fear the Lord, we see what wisdom is. This capacity to gain knowledge, insight and courage to succeed in living a righteous life that we cannot do on our own. And so here's what I want to, in the last couple of minutes we have, very, very quickly touch on, so how do we get it? How do we walk in this wisdom that God has given us? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That is, he imparts it to believers, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The divine wisdom planned for his people before creation will never fail. And friends, when that wisdom is imparted by his Holy Spirit, we see that we become a new creation. So how do we get wisdom? Really, really quickly. How do we get wisdom? First and foremost, by praying. How do we get wisdom? If wisdom is this thing that is of God, that is unattainable, we get it by praying. Praying is an act of surrender. Praying is an act of realizing I'm not good enough in my own self. I can't do this. Praying is what happened to me last night at 3.30 when I got up with a billion thoughts racing through my head thinking, how the heck do I teach on wisdom? And as I was praying, I started to have peace because praying is a surrender to a wise God saying, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. So I pray. I pray and I ask him, I ask him, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Secondly, how do we get wisdom? By prizing wisdom, by cherishing wisdom, by actually recognizing first that I need it, but then going after it. In this world, people are not chasing after wisdom. We are chasing after everything else. We are chasing after fame. We are chasing after acceptance from that person. We are chasing after just so much nonsense and so much rubbish. And it's ripe in the church and it's really starting to annoy me that we have so many church leaders and pastors who are making shrines to themselves when what they should be doing is getting on their knees before a holy God and saying, this is not about me. This is about Him pointing people to Him, humbling ourselves. It is surrender. Are you catching something here? Surrender, humility, as we humble ourselves before a holy God and we prize wisdom, we desire wisdom, we start to crave wisdom instead of all the other nonsense in our world. Thirdly, a part of that is pursuing wisdom, prizing it so much that I will go after it. If you need toilet paper right now, you will go to the ends of the world to get it. Because it is not easily found right now. When we realize that wisdom is not easily found, but it is requiring a humility and a surrender, we will pursue it. Some of you are driving down to wherever, Adelaide Central Markets. I don't know if they sell toilet paper, but you know, when we need something, we'll pursue it. Yeah? And this is what we see with wisdom. We see this with wisdom. So, with all of that said, let me give you my definition of wisdom. Wisdom is surrendering to the supremacy of Christ, no matter the cost, 
in all things. Wisdom is surrendering to the supremacy of Christ, no matter the cost, in all things. Which means when someone comes and says, Dave, I think that's a dumb idea, I don't stand up and go, I beg your pardon? That was my idea. That must be good. I say, let me take that on board. Let's bring it to God. Let's see what God has to say about it. Let me get the wise counsel from elders and others who actually also have the wisdom of God because it's available to them if they're pursuing and praying and seeking him. And together we say, what is the will of God? What is the wisdom of God in this situation? And then we agree as a group and we move forward. Wisdom is surrendering to the supremacy of Christ no matter the cost in all things. Why? Because he is supreme. Colossians 1:16. All things were created through him and for him. In him all things hold together and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. All the treasures of wisdom. And there is so much in this and we are out of time. But I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to close. But as we close, I want to throw something at you. Because there's this beautiful passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 which keeps coming back to me, and I thought I was going to preach on it a couple of weeks ago, but it didn't happen. So let me touch on it now, because I think this is the, the pinnacle of wisdom that we see in the Old Testament. There's a king called Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat is leading his army, And he realizes that there is a mighty, vast army coming against him. And Jehoshaphat in this moment has a choice. He could go with the wisdom of the world, which is go and engage with the other big nations around him and say, yep, I need some help. I'm going to pay you money. We're going to surrender ourselves to you, trusting you and your might that you would come through and help us defeat this army or... He can do something different. And you know what Jehoshaphat does? This is what he does. It says, Jehoshaphat gathered the people of Judah and they came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord and in front of the new courtyard and prayed. And he gets this awesome prayer. And I'm going to pick that prayer up in verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them, this army coming against them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Do you know what God does? God brings an incredible victory. A word comes, Jehoshaphat leads the troops of Israel out and what they do is they just stand. And the Lord fights that fight and He brings about a mighty, crazy, powerful victory. Why? Because Jehoshaphat was wise. Let me tell you something, that wisdom looked like foolishness to the world around him. That wisdom looked stupid. Stupid. Why would you ever, with a tiny army, go up against multitudes 
with your little weapons and just stand there being ready to be slaughtered. That is foolishness to the world. And yet, in God's foolishness is wisdom. Friends, it is foolishness that God would take on flesh and suffer and die for the sins of humanity that we might learn and grow and be given righteousness, that we might become the righteousness of God. That is foolishness. It is ridiculous. And yet it is the wisdom of God. It is the way in which God has ordained things because as we surrender and humble ourselves before a holy God, before a cross of all things, there is, therein lies wisdom. Therein lies wisdom. Who needs wisdom? If we need wisdom, maybe it's time to surrender to the supremacy of Christ in all things. Maybe it's time to humble ourselves before a holy God, recognising we don't have what it takes. But when we don't know what to do, when we fix our eyes on Him, in all of these things, He will succeed because He has has succeeded. So would you stand to your feet? And we're going to close today by singing a new song which is, uh, it's a pretty full-on song. It's a song of surrender. It's a song of actually asking God to refine us. It's a song of asking God, it's a prayer saying, God, purify me. That is a hard thing to pray. It requires humility and it requires surrender. So here's my encouragement to us. Right now, for those of you who need wisdom, for anyone in this place who's like, I need wisdom, I need a dose of wisdom, whatever's going on in your world, you need wisdom. Maybe you're feeling like Ecclesiastes. Maybe you're feeling like Job. Maybe you're feeling like Song of Songs. Maybe you're feeling like Proverbs. I don't know. But if you need wisdom right now, I want to invite you to surrender to the supremacy of Christ. To take a moment, just a moment, I know we're over time, but let's just take a moment because God's worth out just a little bit of extra time to say, okay, I'm yours. Come into the cross because I need wisdom. And if you want to physically demonstrate that, can we clear a few rows at the front? You can come to the front, we'll put the cross out and you can just come and sit at the cross if that's what you want to do. If you'd like prayer, we can have, can we get some prayers in the corner and prayers over here? So come and get prayer. If you want to just be, then do that. But let's take a moment to surrender to the supremacy of Christ in all things that we might gain wisdom. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that you make your your wisdom available to us. Father, I pray that we individually, corporately, that we would acknowledge that we can't do this alone. We are not God. We do not have what it takes. 
We can gain knowledge. We can have insight. We can be courageous. We can be successful. But none of those things lead to a righteous life. Only you, only your act on the cross brings righteousness. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you and pray that as we do, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you would give us the gift of wisdom, that we would walk in your wisdom to do what's right, to do what's just, and to do what's fair, and to make your name famous in the world. That you, by your spirit, would use your church to grow your kingdom. So we love you, Lord. We praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. So let's just take a moment to respond. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.